0: Welcome to Season 2 of Stroke FM. I'm your host, Human Kosraveni, one of the stroke doctors in Toronto. We are going to be kicking off 2021 with a bang, two episodes on crisis resource management and high-performing teams in acute stroke care. We're going to talk about how to become master resuscitationists in four domains, that of the self, our patients, our team members, and of course the environment we're going to talk about how to do this collectively as a team how to work together in a comprehensive manner in a way that is inclusive balanced but also vigilant and calm and without any further ado let's get to the episode Hello and welcome to another episode of Stroke FM. This is our first episode of 2021. It has been an absolutely crazy 2020 and we obviously took a large pause uh, for releasing episodes but thankfully we released an entire season which ended up working out. We are so happy to join you today and back online and here to talk about a really cool topic which is called crisis resource management. And this is really the jewel of our... uh, kind of uh, work at our shop with regards to how we get people to uh, work together as a team to remain calm vigilant uh be aware of what's going on and it is absolutely uh awesome um we actually uh Uh, have some members of uh, the group that published this uh, paper in neurocritical care titled uh, Crisis Resource Management and High-Performing Teams in Hyperacute Stroke Care, which is the first time this concept of crisis resource management has been described, and I have the two first authors with me here today. Great. Thank you, Human. Uh, This is Pav. I'm one of the uh, chief
1: neurology residents at the University of Toronto and one of the authors on this paper that uh, Human has already mentioned. Uh, you know, I hope everyone is staying safe out there. Um, it's certainly crazy times, but uh, you know, I think this paper uh, is very timely, and uh, you know, we'll talk about how it actually ties into everything that's going on today.
2: Thanks, Human, for having me. Um, I'm Lowell Natario. I'm a, a nursing clinical educator at one of the emergency departments in uh, Toronto, and I'm so honored to be part of this team and looking forward to talking about a topic that's really really near and dear to my heart.
0: That's awesome. It's super excellent to have you guys here uh, discussing this topic. There are a few of our uh, co-authors that uh, are not joining us right now on this podcast. We hope to get them on as future guests. I'll just go through these folks because they're just super, super awesome. Um, So uh, Cliff Reed is an emergency doctor and a master resuscitationist. Uh, He he kind of talked about this stuff uh, extensively. If you want to look up some of his talks on the... uh, previously known as a social media and critical care smack, but now under CODA, uh, we'll put these in the show notes. Uh, Cliff has given some fantastic talks, uh, one of which is truly remarkable called Making Things Happen. Uh, Charles Waira is one of the big stroke leads in uh, in the American Heart Association, and he's also an eMERGE physician. It's so awesome to have uh, three eMERGE physicians on this paper. Uh, he's absolutely terrific, and uh, he's published extensively about uh, uh, what to do during the crisis that we're dealing with in COVID-19. Um, Jose Suarez uh, is an absolutely tremendous neurocritical care physician with cross-appointments in neurology, uh, neurosurgery, anesthesia, uh, critical care medicine. And uh, he's the immediate past president of the Neurocritical Care Society. And the last but not least, uh, Scott Weingart, uh, uh, the, the creator, founder of uh, MCrit.org, E-M-crit.org, uh, which is now expanded to having multiple folks contribute to that amazing website and a podcast that really has elevated uh, critical care and emergency medicine. Uh, practices and again, uh, uh, both uh, Scott and Cliff, uh, initially uh, from a distance and then through this collaboration, have been huge mentors of mine with regards to uh, human performance factors. So, that's we just have to definitely acknowledge these folks. Um, and without further ado, we'll uh, start talking about what crisis resource management is. And so, it turns out uh, that guys, like c- crisis resource management. Um you know it's not really uh new to healthcare um it, it has actually been defined in certain fields like emergency medicine and anesthesia but its roots come from aviation um and uh, in aviation it was it was called the cockpit resource management um and um which then it got renamed to crew resource management and then it kind of made its way into medicine what do you guys think about kind of the origins of this
1: well i, I think it's very cool that uh you know it it comes from the aviation field i mean we all know um how paramount safety is uh in that field and and how seriously uh they take that and and when we come from you know the field of medicine it it, it's kind of um a shock that we haven't been implementing these uh things even uh sooner uh and so i you know i I think it's um roots are 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 certainly uh, uh interesting
2: yeah i'd have to agree um you know, there's certainly a lot of lessons that uh, medicine and healthcare has learned uh, from the various industries. Obviously, uh, patient safety uh, and uh, healthcare quality have been to the two real large areas that have advanced uh, and and have taking some of the key lessons from various industries like um, the airline industry, um, some of the manufacturing industries, um, as well as uh, the military um, as a key example.
0: Yeah. So within our group, like we really consider code strokes as... Uh, you know uh, the concept of brain resuscitation or neurovascular resuscitation and we're going to discuss this as we as we go further in the in the topic but you know we think this this stuff applies even outside of resuscitation like we described this in the context of resuscitation because that's where the concept has been socialized but um but not previously by the way in stroke which is kind of what we did here but um but we believe uh, as a group that we can actually do this uh, across the board and uh, not only in these acute cases so what we're talking about is really a overarching frame. Framework of you know how to go about uh, controlling uh, uh, four domains basically, and I'll just outline those domains. So the domain is uh, the domains include in a situation whether you're coming to work for your day on shift or whether it's uh, definitely a code stroke resuscitation, there are four domains that impact the performance of a human being, and those domains are the domain of self, like our own physiology, how we feel, how we're ready emotionally, psychologically, the domain of uh, the team. Uh, Working with the team, uh, being able to bring the team together to share, to kind of unite the the team uh, towards a common mission. Uh, The next domain is the domain of the patient, being able to obviously control what's happening with the patient, their safety, uh, their assessment, um, you know, essentially ensuring the resuscitation process is going well. And the last domain uh, is the environment, Um, is the actual environment, uh, you know, whether that is noise control, crowd control. Uh, other hazards that may be in the way. So these concepts of these four domains are what we're going to talk to you about. Uh, and it really starts with uh, situational awareness. So that's, a, that's where we're going to kick it off. And we're going to try to give you a framework of uh, of how do you use these uh, f- uh, tools to master those four domains in your everyday uh, work, in, uh, whether it's stroke neurology, emergency medicine, critical care, or in fact, any area of medicine.
2: Yeah, uh, I would have to agree. Um, You know, we we talk a lot about resuscitation. Um, Certainly in emergency medicine, uh, a lot of the work that uh, is put out is is all surrounding the topic of hyperacute events and and resuscitation. Um, But you can definitely... Uh, take some of these principles and translate them into your everyday practice um, because it, it's one thing to only practice one type of skill when you're in you know in a hyperacute acute situation where bells and uh, alarms are ringing at you um, you know th- there could be other confounders like a patient fa- patient's family member um, in, in the corner uh, adding another distraction um, lots of other people just you know lots of other craning necks just just trying to pop in and just see what see what's going on uh, but if if you develop a habit and and build it into your everyday practice um it should become innate uh and part be a part of your natural practice so that when a an event happens all of those uh habits are that have been instilled in your into your everyday practice is brought out and and things just come naturally that's awesome. It's almost like a resuscitation karate. <laughs> Lots of wax on, wax off. And... That's right.
0: <laughs> do your kata before. Uh, that way, when you actually end up in battle, you know what to do. So uh, Pav, uh, kick us off on uh, this. what what's the, the first principle of crisis resource management is, which is uh, situational awareness.
1: Yep. So, you know, before I even touch upon situa- uh, situational awareness, you know, let me say from, you know, as a resident, uh, you know, going through residency, uh, you know, when we do our stroke rotation, we focus a lot on the uh, the technical skills, right? The, um, you know, how to do the NIHSS, how to read the CT scan, how to do an aspect score, you know, how to dose TPA. We we focus a lot on that and and we become sort of masters at that by the end of residency. But we don't really have, you know, explicit training or, or a lot of discussion around some of those, you know, non-technical factors that, you know, I, I would argue are just as important in these uh, resuscitation Uh, scenarios and not just resuscitation but beyond Um, and so you know I think by having these sort of sort of formal guidelines or or just to get people thinking about it it, it's an important step uh, so that we start to you know explicitly incorporate these principles Um, so that takes us to situational awareness Um, so you know when it comes to situational awareness it's it's not just awareness of yourself but your team the environment around you uh, and and picking up on on cues in the environment um, that are not only important to you know assessing the patient, uh, but projecting what their status is going to look like in the future, and that's what's really key. Um, I think we've all been part of a, a resuscitation or a code stroke where things have gone downhill, um, or you know the patient has uh, deteriorated rapidly, um, and oftentimes there are cues that uh, would have alerted to us uh, that you know this was impending. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the role of situational awareness is to pick up on those
0: cues um, before it's sort of too
1: late, um, allowing you to prepare in advance.
0: Yeah, and uh, essentially what we adapted here uh, in the uh, figure one of our paper is uh, something that uh, Cliff and Scott came up with, something called a zero point survey. And it's kind of called a zero point because it's happening at point zero before everything even starts. And so uh, what they sort of outlined here very nicely was uh, a concept within zero point survey called as a, as a kind of an acronym STEP UP. And S for in the word STEP UP stands for a self-check. Mental readiness, physical readiness, making sure that you know you've uh, you've come to work, uh, you know not you know not unwell from you know illness or uh, and and you've taken the time to make sure you've eaten or have taken a break uh, that you've taken care of uh, you know uh, uh, sort of bio stuff uh, before getting into, for example, a resuscitation. This means you know when when that pager goes off, you know a code stroke is coming inbound within ten minutes, and if you haven't eaten anything all day or haven't gone to the to the washroom, this is a good time to do those things. Actually prepare yourself mentally, physically for what could be an hour, two hour long situation, especially if the patient deteriorates and, you know, requires resuscitation and discussion with family and, loved ones, and this stuff can really go out of, uh, you know, can can become quite extensive, actually. Um, And then the next stuff is uh, the T, is is for teamwork, uh, which is to determine, uh, the code leader, we'll talk about this in a moment, role clarity, uh, the environment, as both of you mentioned, crowd control, space control, noise, pollution, environmental hazards, And of course, the patient, the primary survey in our world, um, which really is a secondary survey, I would say, right, Raul?
2: Yeah, I would agree. Um, The primary survey in in most of our patients, it actually occurs very quickly. And in in the majority of our patients, um, they don't really need urgent intervention. But uh, the minute you have somebody that comes in, um, you know, with uh, an obtunded airway <clears throat> it's really important to to kind of take that stepwise approach um, uh, you know we we often re- rely on that abcde mnemonic to to ensure that we don't miss anything and uh, you know the the thing that's been built into most resuscitationists is, is to take the same approach for every single patient that you have so that you don't miss anything
0: excellent exactly So Pav, like once that primary survey is done as part of the P, we get into the neurology, neurological assessment, and then uh, why don't you take us to the rest of the mnemonic. So we've kind of covered step and then we'll talk about uh, what the the last sort of two portions are when the resuscitation starts, but including the neurologic assessment.
1: Right. So I mean, uh, you know, with our mnemonic uh, mnemonic step up, um, we finally want to update and share the mental model uh, of our patient status. So up until this point, we've been paying attention to those cues. We've been gathering all this information. We've done the primary survey, and you know we should now be able to put all that together and sort of project uh, what the status of the patient is going to be. And once we've done that, uh, you know, depending on your role in that team, whether you're the code stroke leader or or just uh, you know one of the other members, we want to share that with the rest of the team so that everyone is on the same page. Um, so that's kind of the next important step, and then after that, once everyone kind of understands what's going on, uh, we have to identify priorities, um, and so that's what the the P stands for. Uh, we want to identify what team goals are. So you know, in our case with the code stroke, we want to say, let's get the patient to the scanner. Uh, let's figure out if it's a bleed or uh, or an ischemic stroke. Let's get the TPA ready, etc. And we want to sort of set that trajectory ahead of time.
0: That's wonderful, and I really like those words that uh, you guys put together on this last part. You know, we we talked about how uh you know this this past year actually has been uh, a reminder that, that words matter uh, and we we picked our words here very carefully and and what you notice that we set the word set mission trajectory to get the whole team uh, behind the same mission as we are proceeding with uh you know after the NIH uh, to get this patient scanned and put it all together for that resuscitation, so that's super duper. Uh, do you guys want to talk about? Uh, so, so we t- kind of talked about situational awareness and a framework for situational awareness, which really is uh, kind of brought together in our um, in this framework of the zero point survey. Uh, this is really uh, comes to then uh, to bear with uh, triage and prioritization. Right.
1: So, you know, with with triage and prioritization, you know, with any sort of resuscitation, especially a code stroke you have a million different tasks uh, that you need to get done uh, and it can become really overwhelming very quickly. Um, And so you really have to start prioritizing those tasks. Um, You have to kind of, from the start, say, look, my priority here is uh, the NIH and getting the patient to the scanner. Um, the other things can come second. At the same time, when, when as you're prioritizing those tasks, you want to be able to communicate that with the rest of the team so that, once again, everyone is uh, on the same page. And often this should come from the team leader or the code stroke leader in the case of a code stroke. Um, but... At the same time, you also have to be flexible because, uh, you know, there's so many tasks to be done, and there's only a limited number of uh, resources and bodies. You have to be very flexible and and be able to share that load uh, and quickly change, um, uh, change roles and and uh, rapidly triage things as they happen. Um, and you know, as we know with uh, resuscitations, not never does it go by the book, right? Uh, there's always surprises. Uh, there's things that you don't expect, um, and, and this allows you to sort of adapt rapidly to that.
0: Yeah. So I think both of you probably think in your mind even before you come to work, because you're experienced uh, resuscitation is that you know, you might actually get two resuscitations at the same time happening. For example, two codes and you you know, what we're encouraging people to do is to kind of think about that may happen and to go in your in your mind about like, what are some of the considerations you would have to make when that happens so that you're not inventing it for the first time when it actually happens. And this is where team building comes to play, right? Like thinking about this ahead of time as a group.
2: Yeah, uh, definitely having that pre-brief and making sure that everybody is aware of their roles and especially when you're working in a large academic center where you very literally could be seeing a new face almost every two weeks, right? <clears throat> uh, I think we can all agree. Like the 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 one static part of the team tends to be. Um, uh, some of the house staff, like like uh, nursing and respiratory therapy, and, and the porters. But even then, there's like over a hundred staff uh, that that you would have to know. So um, so we're we're constantly forming up these new teams with about ten minutes warning. Uh, and in in today's day and a- day and age, where all you see are their eyes, and everybody is wearing some version of blue or green, you know, having that that just brief introduction of hi, uh, my name's Lowell. I, I'll be the nurse for this team. Uh, today you know um, it, it really goes a long way and you know as, as resuscitationists uh, w- we all know that like the best plans go out the window as soon as uh, you throw one tiny little wrench uh, and <laughs> wrench into the situation right and it's uh, as, uh, as Pav said you know you have to remain adaptable and and kind of just stick to your principles uh, you know uh, <clears throat> you can't really say okay um uh, you're going to assess the left side of the body while I start the IV on the right side of the body. Because, <laughs> um, uh, you know, the patient might come in and and maybe uh, the, the right side of the body isn't a viable arm to just to get something as simple as the IV. Um, and, you know, lots of things are happening at the same time. Everybody's Kind of has that same objective to get that patient, um, the uh, the expedited care and the high quality care that we all strive for. So when when we have those wrenches or or there's l- those little hiccups, uh, we have to remain adaptable uh, t- uh, and and keep rolling with the punches, uh, you know, as, as you might say, uh, and be able to kind of uh, quickly think on our feet and and quickly uh, adapt and change our plan.
0: That's a great kickoff to the concept of uh, cognitive load. Totally. So in in something as complex as, um,
1: you know, neurology, stroke neurology, a code stroke, uh, where we're dealing with so many different factors and, uh, you know, meanwhile, trying to make these decisions so rapidly, we're dealing with a large amount of information. And and at the end of the day, we're all humans, right? And so you have to be able to process all of that information without being overloaded. Uh, And and that's what we sort of allude to by uh, saying, Uh, cognitive load
2: yeah, I completely agree. I mean, and when we talk about health professions education, we we talk a lot about cognitive psychology, cognitive load, and, you know, it didn't really occur to me until I actually started studying it, how much psychology goes into training and education. Uh, I mean, like, if you break it down, training and education is all about getting a professional or, or a student to uh, gain, attain, and retain a memory and, and access that memory at the, at the appropriate time, right? Um and and when we talk about cognitive load um there's there's definitely an a, a limited capacity for the, the person to process information now that capacity dip, uh, can be different for different people um and especially when you're faced with a new uh situation you definitely have a higher cognitive load because your brain is actively trying to process okay what's new what's new here what's novel what have I not seen before and then also trying to look for what are the things that I have seen before whether it be uh, in you know in a textbook in a classroom in a lecture or uh, in in some sort of simulation lab uh, scenario practice or maybe maybe I've actually seen this in in an actual patient. Right. So you're and you're constantly being fed all of this information. And we talk about the trickle effect of uh, of information during resuscitation. You get little tidbits of information that help add or add or take away uh, from the, the bigger picture to help uh, help that the tra- the trajectory uh, that you would predict for the patient and help help make you to make those decisions uh, about what is the best course of action for the patient.
0: Hey folks, it's a good time to take a pause as we uh, complete part one uh, from the two-part episode on crisis resource management and high-performing teams and hyperacute acute stroke care. In part one, we reviewed the framework of the overarching principles of crisis resource management. We touched on situational awareness and the framework of the zero-point survey and discussed triage and prioritization. In addition to touching on cognitive load, we really uh, look forward to having you join us in part two of this episode where we complete the other pillars of crisis resource management when it comes to acute stroke resuscitation, but also uh, acute work in neurology and beyond.